Saturday, the 20th of May, 2022, Scrappy Murphy's in Birmingham, 7pm. Be there. The Chronicles of Podcast Live. Tickets on sale now. Go to www.ctickets.com. It's about getting into schools and talking to young people because, you know, I, I know that people can change. Uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever. And we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there. Absolutely. Hey there, guys. We are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Hey, Jamie, do you like being cosy? I do. And do you like staying cosy? I like that even more. Then just head over to www.staycozyclothing.com where you can find hoodies, tees, sweaters and much, much more. And just enter The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And make sure you follow them on the Instagram at staycozyclothing to keep up to date with all the new designs. Remember guys, that's The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And now back to this week's episode. It's Boba Fett here. And you're listening to The Chronicles of Podcast. As you wish. Make sure you use the force with my ass, boys. Welcome to Hashtag WBW. Way back Wednesday. And these are the chronicles of JC Reifenberg. Why JC this week, Jamie? Why JC this week? Quite simply because I freaking love this interview so damn much. This is our... I love this interview so much. It was quite stellar. Ah. It's quite a stellar show, this one. This was one that I was like, oh, it's a Jamie episode, because obviously you know exactly who JC was. And then obviously did my research. I was quite intrigued to find out, obviously, he works alongside Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin uh, for Fat Man Beyond Podcast. Is that correct? That is absolutely He also owns the Scum and Villainy Bar in downtown LA as well. Uh, but it's just down, just generally, it was just, just a wonderful conversation on everything else. We had a lot of fun sitting with JC and chatting. Obviously, he'd become a new, he'd become a new father at the time as well. Um, and obviously knows 
or knew, should I say, absolutely everything to know about Star Wars. I imagine that's still the fact now, to be fair. But it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Even with all this new content coming out, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this uh, I literally, I was like a big fan of Kevin Smith, old Banff man himself, JC Reifenberg, he owns a Scumvillian Cantina, he hosts that podcast, like, I want to talk to him. And then doing our research when he said, oh, come on, my God, this man's done a lot. Yeah. Like, he has done a lot more than I think casual fans realise. This is a, a fascinating conversation and probably the most stellar background. Oh, that oh, was elite. That was the elite oh. background, that was. I'm pretty sure it went for the MLB as well, didn't Major League Baseball as yeah. well at some point. Yeah. yeah. I, done... See, I do remember this conversation. You do. <laughs> it's great. It was great. I remember it being really cool and... Um, Afterwards, just like you know, we have those moments. I think we have it every week, actually, every interview we do, where it's just like that was amazing. Just loved every second of it, and I'm really excited to bring this one back to the new channel and for everyone, the new people that are now following us to hear it. I'm really excited to check it out, especially if you don't know who JC is, because this is going to blow your mind, especially if you're a Star Wars fan, and especially if you have a little tiny soft spot for Jar Jar Binks. Oh. JC's story about Jar Jar Binks almost made me cry. That's all I'm going to say. Check this out. So, Jamie, any final words? JC, a huge thank you. One day, at some point in time, I will visit that damn bar of yours because I'm desperate to go. But this is incredible. It would be great to talk to you again. May the force be with you and everyone check this out. Yeah, hopefully we'll get down to the Scum and Villain Cantina. That'll be so much fun. Jamie, we will achieve this one day. Don't you worry. JC, thank you so much for taking the time. I've got a very busy schedule to sit down with us. Uh, I believe you had a meeting at one point and then didn't go because you were still chatting to us. So we really, really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the chronicles of JC Reifenberg. Hey. Wow. wow. Hold on one sec. Yeah, no worries. I'll just admire your background while you carry on. <laughs> there we go. Hello there. Hello. Dude, I'm what is behind you? Star Wars figures. Is it? Yeah, Star Wars figures. Damn, man. That is insane. That is insane. <laughs> so we have this thing when a guest comes on, we always start admiring their background. I don't know why. We just do it quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, I had this or I have Transformers <laughs> and I decided to roll with the Star Wars today. It's a good oh. decision. My other one. How's my internet connection? I, I'm always... I have fucking fiber internet, but if as soon as I go on Wi-Fi and unplug, it doesn't. This is my other. Oh, that's, that's way better. That's <laughs> way better. better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you just become... I've had to become a father. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, no worries at all. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a dad myself, but still, that's absolutely amazing. Um, it, uh, it's pretty awesome. Oh, good. Uh, well, so basically, what we're going to do is we're just going to absolutely bombard the living fuck out of you with questions. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> how's your messenger? Uh, yeah. How's my audio s- sound? Okay. Spot that's on. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. Next, what I normally do is I do a little intro. Introduce you to the show, and then, as Tom says, bombard you with a fuck ton of questions. Okay, cool. Do you guys edit anything? Yeah, I can edit. Yeah. Okay. I'll if you need me to that. take stuff out, but I'll try to limit the ums and uhs and nonsense. Too. Ah, it's, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Right, let's go. 
Okay. Ladies and gents, today we have a man who has done it all, a man who has given himself all sorts of challenges and mastered them all. He's been a writer, a production assistant, an editor, a director, and no doubt I've missed an absolute ton of that. He's also a Star Wars superfan who owns the greatest bar in the galaxy, the Scum and Villainy Cantina on Hollywood Boulevard, Los Angeles. Please welcome to Chronicles, Bamf Boy himself, aka JC Reifenberg. <laughs> I've got two things to say. One, with your accent, reading those lists of accomplishments sounds way more impressive than it actually is. Yeah. And, and, and two, I think I've graduated to Banff Man. Oh, you Banff Man now? Sorry, I, I must have missed that I think I'm Banff Man. <laughs> oh, um, we, we won't be so rude, blood like, Banff Boy, like Kevin is. <laughs> yeah, like Kevin. I'm like 40 years old, Kevin. I'm like... I should have graduated to like night bamf wing or something. <laughs> you know. Oh, I love it. By the way, did I pronounce your surname right? I wasn't even paying attention. Reifenberg. I think you did. I did. I think I did. That's all right. Yeah, you did. Did, you did. Strike me as incorrect. So yes, let's roll with it. We'll roll with it. That works. That's fine. Wonderful. So, man, how's the last year been for you, dude? Um, God, I have to be careful the way I answer this. Um, it, uh, I know it's been a struggle for a lot of people, but it was actually really incredible for me. Um, okay. I was going like full tilt running scum and villainy, like nonstop, like just working, 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 working. And I was getting really burned out. And I said to my fiance, I was like, God, I just need like the world to stop for a month. <laughs> and, um, classic case of like be careful what you wish for <laughs> the pandemic happened um so you know i took the time during the pandemic to like recharge my batteries and like work on the house and do things you know just kind of like reset everything and um and i started doing live streaming with kevin and for to try to keep scum and villainies um uh community engaged and um and that turned into like a whole new weird little career where uh i got the democratic national convention here in the united states and then that launched into doing all sorts of crazy different live stream events um like seven days a week every single every single week since uh since last Fuck. october that's insane. I so also, yeah. I also just totally, totally missed the fact that I had a baby in November too. <laughs> so that happened as well, uh, which is probably like the coolest, biggest thing out of all of it. Um, so you know, it's uh, you know, in uh, Avengers Endgame when they like go to Tony Stark's cabin in the woods and they're like, "We can go back in time and save everything," and he like looks at his kid and he's like. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Like that's how everybody was like. I wish we could just relate, uh, erase 2020. Is I'm like, no, no. Look what I got out of it. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like I totally get it. Like I relate so strongly to that that part of the movie. Now I like watch it and and ugly cry. Oh, such a great <laughs> film. But so all these conspiracy theories going about the pandemic. Obviously, you said you were burning yourself out. So did you start it? <laughs> I, I uh, I'm not gonna answer that. No, no, no. 
We'll have his lawyers on to us. Be careful, Tom. Yeah, sorry, my apologies. And obviously, you created more work for yourself by, yeah, during the pandemic. So there's no real to actually chill out. You just I go, oh, I do more things now. What's going on here? I am as stressed, if not more stressed today than I was last year when I was like, oh, I just need a month off. Um, because the bar's back open now. Now I'm like juggling two businesses. Um, which is like, look, the best problems to have, right? And a ba- and being a dad and being, you know, doing that. So like, I have three jobs now, um, but all of them are like the best jobs in the world. So I'm not complaining. Massive congratulations again on the birth of your child as well. Thank you. So, where do we begin with you? It's like you've you've done so much, but I think we should go back. And um, what did young Master Reifenberg wish to be when he grew up? Okay, so God, again, I'm gonna try to talk about this and sound hopefully it sounds ex- exciting and and thankful and not arrogant and shitty um because i i'm overly blessed um but when i was a little kid um the f- the thing i wanted to be most was an 80s hairband singer forever. <laughs> and uh and then i really wanted to be a baseball player and then I really wanted to be uh, one of the, like a curator for Rancho Obi-Wan. And then I really wanted to go to Skywalker Ranch and work for Lucasfilm <clears throat> uh, and do Star Wars, make Star Wars. Um, I think those are, those are like my biggies. Those were like the things I'm like, if I can do one of these things and like they kind of evolved as I aged and I kind of got, I've, I've kind of been lucky enough to do all of them. Oh, I also really, really wanted to be world recognized for Star Wars trivia. That was the other thing where I was like, oh my God, everybody needs to know how much I know about Star Wars. <laughs> um, so, you know, but big goals, I guess. <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous, big childish goals from the time I've been a child. Yeah, but they're, they're amazing goals to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> shooting for the stars <laughs> and you're not far off with the last one let's be honest so the star wars so yeah the star wars trivia i was um in 1999 uh rosie o'donnell who was like a big talk show host in the united states um the you know the hype for episode one was like crazy i don't mm. i i was so i was 18 when episode one came out and the hype was insane it was insane and so um, somebody told me that Rosie O'Donnell was always talking about Star Wars on her talk show. And so I would get home from uh, high school and I would turn on the Rosie O'Donnell show to see what she had to say about like Star Wars. Was she saying anything important? And um, her limo drivers, she lived in Connecticut. So her commute was like an hour to and from the studio at Rockefeller Center every day. And so her limo driver was this like, huge massive star wars kind of like stoner guy and so she would tell these stories she'd be like i was on my on the drive home to uh on the drive down to the studio today jimmy who's my limo driver the biggest star wars fan in the world was like you know rosie i was thinking today about the ewoks and how you know they're really like it's representative of like nature over machine and like everybody gives them a bad name but really the ewoks are like the heart of what star wars is all about so like he talked like that <laughs> so 
she's telling me <laughs> stories. So three days before episode one was supposed to come out, she was doing a charity screening of episode one in Chicago, uh, which is where I lived at the time. And um, for $500, you could go and see Star Wars episode one on May 16th, which was a Sunday. The movie came out on May 19th, which was a Wednesday. And so I was like, oh my God, we have to go. And so uh, me and three friends all spent 500 bucks to buy movie tickets to see episode one early. And like 500 bucks in, uh, for, in, for me was like a massive amount of money at that time. And like my parents are like, you're insane. What are you doing? So like my mom and I like sewed Jedi robes and I wore these Jedi robes to uh, this charity screening in downtown Chicago. And like, uh, while I was there, Rosie and her limo driver were sitting like eight rows behind me. So my buddy and I went up and we challenged the limo driver to a Star Wars trivia contest. And we were like, she keeps saying you're the best, but we think we're the best. And so, um, went out and like did a bunch of interviews for all like the Chicago papers and like was lucky enough to be like on the front page of the Chicago Sun Times and like talking about how much we love the movie. And then that uh, we went to school. That was Monday. We went to school that Monday. I got home from school on Monday and Rosie O'Donnell's producer called and wanted to fly me and my buddy out to be on the Rosie O'Donnell show. That, that was Monday. They they wanted to fly us out the next morning to be on the show on Wednesday. So uh, we were like, yeah, totally. So we flew out on Tuesday and then we're on Rosie O'Donnell doing Star Wars trivia on May 19th, 1999, which is when uh, Star Wars Episode One was released. And, like Jake Lloyd was on the show that day. Like he like made fun of us. Rosie was like, did you know when you got the role of Darth Vader that like uh, there were Star Wars fans like that out there? Jake Lloyd was like, oh, I knew there were Star Wars fans, but oh, not like those guys. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Darth Vader made fun of us. Uh, and we ended up winning Star Wars trivia on that. Um, and she sent us she sent me this like three foot by three foot or you guys are UK. You Do you guys use feet in UK? Or yeah. are you on med? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys are, you do it the right way. So it's like three foot by three foot by three foot box of Star Wars Episode One toys. <clears throat> it was Amazing. super awesome. Um, but then the, here's where it gets crazy. So that's like life goal achieved. So fast forward to 2004. I'm living in New York City and I'm working at a comic book shop called Midtown Comics, which is like the biggest comic book shop in all of the United States. And um, and I quit working there to go and start working for Major League Baseball. But I got a phone call from one of the managers like a month after I quit and said like MTV was just in here looking for huge Star Wars fans for something. Like I, I gave them your name. You should reach out to them. Here's the person to reach out to. So I like reached out to them uh, or I like sent them a email and then they like called me immediately and they were like, hey, we're doing this like huge Star Wars trivia contest in a couple weeks. Um, and the producers want to cast like just the biggest Star Wars fans of all time. Like the prize is going to be insane. Like, 
like, just do you fit the bill? I said, sure. She goes, okay, well, you have to come in and audition and answer some questions. So a couple of days later, I went down to MTV studios where they were still doing total request live in, in, uh, times square. And I went up to the casting director's office and she was like asking me all these questions like, um, like, uh, what is the name of Admiral Akbar's ship? in return of the jedi i'm like home one and so she asked me like 20 questions and i was the only one they interviewed like four thousand people i was the only one who got all those questions right every single person it's funny i still remember it. every single person they asked the questions to uh they asked one of the questions was the beginning of star wars episode two now keep in mind this is in 2004 so episode two is only a couple years old the beginning of of Star Wars Episode Two, Obi Wan and Anakin have just returned from a border dispute on what planet? And everybody thinks it's uh, like everybody's answer is like, "Oh, it's Cato Nemoidia," or it's one of these things that they talk about in the movie. But it was a trick question because because they don't Anakin and Obi Wan never mention it. It's mentioned at the beginning of the movie where Padme is talking to Palpatine and Palpatine. Uh, is talking and Mace Windu are talking about like getting her security, and it's like, oh, Obi Wan and Anakin—they've just returned from a border dispute on Ancyon. So it's like this trick question. So I got that right. I got on MTV TRL. I ended up winning uh, the MTV TRL trivia contest and got—I uh, won a trip uh, for me and a friend to go to Skywalker Ranch um, that next spring and watch revenge of the sith at skywalker ranch with george lucas and everybody so um i like got to like live both my dreams in like one swoop which was pretty crazy so i saw revenge of the sith on may 5th 2005 three weeks before it came out with george two rows behind me which was crazy Fucking hell. You definitely <laughs> achieved that goal of being the biggest fan to, without fail. I mean, yeah, it which is funny too, because like back then it was like very important for me to be like recognized as like the biggest fan <laughs> in the world. Um and now now I'm like it's not like something I want I like I'm like trying to brag about or anything. Like for me, like I, I kind of hold it like more closely, like more precious. Um, I'm like, there's so much Star Wars out there now. And like, I am an old man of Star Wars, like other people, like if you go on YouTube, there are people on YouTube, like um, this guy's name, Alex from Star Wars Theory YouTube page or Star Wars Explained, Star Wars Explained YouTube page. And like that guy can like run circles around me with trivia now, like I, I cannot compete with the kids. Like, I feel like the old, like George Foreman, like old man boxer now in the <laughs> ring where like I can throw a couple like good punches of about like Prince Shizor or somebody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, I've passed that torch to many a YouTube entity a long time ago. Like Obi-Wan in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> so I read somewhere that you started making films when you were 16 years old. How did you learn to do that at such a young age and be good enough for like local businesses to use you from what I read? 
Oh, somebody's been looking at my IMDb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so I went to a high school um, called Glenberg North High School, which is uh, in a town called Northbrook, Illinois. And everybody, everybody knows about Northbrook, Illinois, but you don't know you know about Northbrook, Illinois. Yeah. Northbrook, Illinois is the real life place that the fictional Shermer, Illinois is actually ah. what Shermer, Illinois actually is. So like I grew up, I lived on Shermer Road when I was growing up. My high school was on Shermer Road. Shermer, Illinois is the the fictional John Hughes town. Mm. But John Hughes grew up and went to my high school. So we actually had a, a television studio at my high school. So when I was 15 and I, I had dislocated my shoulder playing football and I didn't make the baseball team anymore because I tore my rotator cuff. I couldn't throw a baseball. I got into one of my friends was into filmmaking. So I joined the TV studio people. And so I started doing TV stuff um, back then. And it was what, 1996 ish. So it was still like we were shooting on VHS tapes and like doing VHS to VHS AB roll stuff. Um, so that's how I got into it at such a young age. Um, I I was I couldn't play baseball anymore, so I got into TV because I was like, oh my god, how cool would it be to like make something that changes the world like Star Wars? Well, you you went? Did you go on to study then in college doing film? Because obviously, you know, you went. I did. I went to University of Miami uh, Motion Picture uh, at University of Miami School of Communications, and I majored in motion pictures. So yeah, I did do, I got a four year degree in filmmaking from there. Unbelievable. And then from there I graduated and I'd been out to LA and I was like, LA's dirty. I'm not going there. And I had <laughs> such a good time in New York when I was there on the Rosie O'Donnell show four years previous. I was like, I'm going to move to New York. So I moved to New York. I started working at Midtown Comics, which gave me the opportunity to get on MTV to go to TRL. But after I left Midtown Comics, I started working for Major League Baseball, which was like my other like childhood dream uh, that I got to realize was like I wasn't I mean, I wasn't playing baseball, but I was like going and hanging out in the locker room with the New York Yankees and like traveling with the Cleveland Indians while they were in the playoffs and like got to sit on the field during the home run derby and the all star game. So I got to do some really cool stuff around major league baseball also um they kind of like scratched that sports itch for me damn dude so what position were you for were you a pitcher i i played catcher and first base um but then i like got moved to the outfield um but like my like i dislocated i played uh i like returned kickoffs in football and i like dislocated my shoulder returning a kickoff, I think. And, um, and I tried to play baseball years later, like, God, when I was like 28, 29 years old, I moved to LA, I, I went out, I joined a baseball team in Beverly Hills. Um, and I'll never forget the our first game. Uh, the team we played had Jose Canseco on it, who was no the of, of Major League Baseball went the year I, um, the year I got really into baseball in like 1988, 89. So my first game playing baseball in a decade was against Jose Canseco, which was like, again, another dream come true. But like I played like 
four games at catcher there and by like game five i like i could still feel it and like by the end of the season like i couldn't even like lift my elbow like up above oh. my shoulder anymore so i did it i it i yeah it's bad <laughs> Oh, I find it amazing that your first job in TV, film, whatever, out of you, out of college, was straight for Major League Baseball. It's like not just random minor film studios, Major League Baseball. That's insane. Well, it was so. I was. It was weird. It was right with like the world is such a strange place. So I got hired by um, a company called ML, MLB Advanced Media, Major League Baseball Advanced Media which was um i started there in 2004 and the mlb.com website which was like the front end of what ml bam was uh started in 2000 or 2001 so i was like in the first like within the first three or four years of major league baseball having their own website and stuff and um i started i would go in at night and watch the baseball games and cut the highlights out and upload them to the website. So it's like, so-and-so hits a home run. I would cut it out and upload it. And that's how I got started at Major League Baseball. It was not a glamorous job. Um, but uh, compared to working at the comic book shop, I was making two and a half times the, the money. I was making six bucks an hour at the comic book shop and it's on the second floor. So every day I was carrying like 40 pound boxes of comic books up two flights of steps this narrow hallway. And then I got the job at major league baseball. It was like life changing. I'm like, now I'm making 15 bucks an hour and I get to watch baseball for a living. Um, it was crazy. And they have an elevator. Um, yeah, I know. Well, New York, the infrastructure is so old that, uh, like everybody's, everybody's grandfathered out of having to have an elevator, um, (laughs) ADA access, but like, um, uh so anyway that's how i i started there and then like worked my way up through that um and and again it's just i I was fortunate to start editing and learning filmmaking at age 15. so by the time in 2004 i was at major league baseball i had been doing it for nine years most people have been doing it for two years so i just had that much more experience to like get in and like you know, get rolling in my career. I kind of had like a, a privileged start uh, to get that out. It's incredible. Uh, baseball games are long as well. So they are, they are long ass <laughs> games. So you have to go through. So I take it, were you watching it live and then clipping it out or were you actually at the games going, no, no, no. Okay. So there's a Roman that, yeah. Okay. So there's that. No, I was, yeah. So I was in a studio um, in, in Manhattan and all the games would be on TV. So I'd be watching the game on TV and uh like yeah clipping out piece chunks of the game as it went uh so like a little bit more high tech here's the crazy thing major league baseball advanced media the company i used to work for a long time ago uh like three or four years ago sold to the walt disney company as the company that was going to run what would eventually become disney plus oh that's mad had I stuck around, I would have ended up being on the team that that helped build Disney Plus. Dude, that's I left insane. way before that. I left way before that, but kind of crazy, right? But yeah, but you wouldn't change it, though, would you, for the, what you've done? Rather oh, than no, 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 no. Exactly. I so. get like part of my thing is 
I think where like I'm wired differently is that most people fear change. Like they don't like change because it's unknown. Whereas I, I don't know. I like read something on the internet the other day and I never thought I had like ADD or ADHD, but like I read something on the internet where it was like checklist if you have ADHD <laughs> and like I checked all the boxes twice. Um, but like I get like hyper focused on something for like six to 12 months and like just go hard on it like 150 percent and then i'm like i'm really bored with this and i want to move on um so that's kind of what happened like at the comic book shop and that's kind of like what happened at major league baseball is like i went hard cutting baseball highlights and then i got bored and then they promoted me to be like the manager the nighttime manager and i managed the team of the people who were cutting highlights and that was really fun for a year and then i got or like nine months and then i got really bored and then i was like hey like I can shoot stuff like can you send me out to like shoot features and do things like that so then I did that for a year and then I was like I'm bored with New York which is funny <laughs> and so then I moved to LA after four years in New York LA's dirty but I'm gonna move there now <laughs> well the difference was the the fateful thing that happened was Major League Baseball sent me out to Los Angeles to cover the Dodgers for four days and so I was out here for four days and my friends who had been living out here for four years were like, oh, let me show you L.A. And so I went out with my friends like I had done family trips here, but I went out with my friends in L.A. And then I was I came back to New York and I told my girlfriend at the time and my roommate, I was like, we got to move to L.A. And we literally eight months later, just packed everything up and moved to L.A. Damn. Damn. But I mean, go, just quickly going back to Midtown, like working in a comic book store, granted you're only making six bucks an hour or whatever, but that must have been fucking incredible, being able to just read what you want, like, and just working in that sort of environment with people of like-minded. So, sort of, sort of. It was incredible. I, I like don't want to, like, downplay it. I love Midtown Comics. I'm so grateful for uh, the guys who own it because it's, it's owned by, like, what uh five guys that like used to own video stores and then they got into comic books like really great awesome dudes um but like i got that job thinking it would be like the comic book shop guy from the simpsons <laughs> i'm gonna sit around i'm gonna read comic books with my feet on the counter and stuff midtown comics is in times square it's the biggest comic book shop by volume in the world so Midtown Comics sells more comic books than anywhere else in the world. So like, I didn't read a single comic, I didn't watch a single thing. Like I worked my ass off from the moment I walked through the door until the moment I left. And like, it it was so valuable because it taught me like what hard work was. You know, it's like, cause the dudes who ran it, that's their livelihood, that's their business. So like, if they see you like roll back on your heels a little bit they're on top of you like hey man yeah. like we're paying you like find something to do stay busy like there's always something to do around here which at the time when i was 22 i was like these guys are fucking the worst but at <laughs> 40 running my own company now i'm like oh my god like i was i could have been such a better employee if i was more mature at that time um so like I just worked my I worked my butt off there, um, but it was cool. Like I got to like because Midtown Comics is huge. So like, 
you know, Mark Hamill would shop there after his his like Broadway play ended at night. So I got to like help him pick out comic books and um, like some other people uh, like just like like I met Sean Astin there. He was um, he was up for uh, going to be the director of the Fantastic Four movie, the old one with like Jessica Alba in it. Oh, and yeah. so he came in one night and bought all of our old Fantastic Four comic books. Um, so I like, got to help him do that. So like, I mean, like in it, I was like, oh my God, I'm commuting an hour to make six bucks an hour. And like, this is just so hard for a spoiled 22 year old <laughs> and like, and not spoiled, but like obviously had not ever been in the real world. Um, but like being able to reflect back on it, it was like so incredible. Like taught me hard work, taught me like, you know, and I say this all the time and I shouldn't say it publicly, but like in New York City, if you are doing C plus work, you're not going to have a job for very long. But if you take a C plus employee from New York City and you put them in LA, they are an A employee. Like, <laughs> like the expectation in New York is just so much higher than it is in los angeles um you know it, it so i'm glad like when i was young i was able to be in new york and like learn how to bust my ass and learn what it took because it's like you're making six bucks an hour like if i lose this job i'm like hitchhiking back to chicago with my tail between my legs like i have to make this work i have to hustle like i have to go and go and like when i think i can't go anymore i need to go harder and then the other thing was like i can't work at this comic book shop for six dollars an hour and like yeah i have all this experience editing high school stuff and and film school stuff but like nobody who runs a business gives a shit about that like they want real experience so then i was like on top of the comic book shop i like went out and got an internship which is when i when i was working for the movie producer um so i was going seven days a week 12 plus hours a day because i was like i not only do i need to like work hard to to stay alive i need to work that much harder to be able to get to where i want to go yeah unreal so i personally first heard of you with your work with fat man beyond obviously with kevin smith and former guest of ours mark bernard but you've done a ton of work with kevin i didn't even realize that i was properly researching you. you've done absolutely how did you get involved with, with smart coven originally the kevin story is also like i'm either like the luckiest person on earth but i'm also a huge star wars fan so like as obi-wan kenobi says like in my experience there's no such thing as luck um i just like i work really really hard like i work i'm willing to do whatever it takes to make the thing happen that i want to happen so uh the way i got roped in with kevin is in 2010 i um even further than that, 2009, there was an AdamFilms.com contest hosted by Olivia Munn, where if you could pitch a Star Wars fan film, the winning pitch would have Olivia Munn would act in your fan film. 
Um, and this was before Olivia Munn was like Olivia Munn. She was like the G4 anchor at this time. And um, so I did a pitch for that and I came in second place. Um, so the next year at Star Wars Celebration 5, I met Adrian Curry, who was uh, America's Next Top Model season one winner and uh, My Fair Brady. She married like the Brady Bunch guy and she was on The Surreal Life. She was a very big reality TV star at the time. And I pitched her my idea, which was uh, Weird Science meets Star Wars. So take the plot of Weird Science and and instead of these two guys just being like general 1980s nerds, make them Star Wars nerds. And instead of using a Barbie doll to create Kelly LeBrock, they use a, a Hut Slayer uh, bikini Leia action figure to create Princess Leia, who teaches them the ways of the Force and builds up their self-confidence to do the thing. So I wrote this 23-page script with a couple friends, and in it, I needed like the mentor character. I needed the Yoda character. So I wrote a role for Kevin Smith in it, cast the film. This is in uh, like September of 2010. And um, reached out to Adrian like, hey, I got it. Do you want to be in my movie? Crickets. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, I have this script now. So I cast the script, the movie. And everybody who I cast was like, oh, you know, um, you know, Kevin Smith. I was like, I don't. And they're like, how are you going to get him to be in your thing? I'm just like, I haven't figured it out yet, but I, I, I'll do it. <laughs> so um, so we went into production in February of 2011. And we went to like, we I started going to like Jane Silent Bob, Get Old podcast and Hollywood Babylon podcast when it was at the John Lovitz Theater at Universal Studios and like could not get Kevin's attention. Like, like war went in with like people who were wearing Stormtrooper costumes and the whole thing and like could not get his attention. That March, like 24th or 25th, I think it was March 25th, 2011. So yeah, I've just been working with Kevin for a decade. Um, Kevin, I started following Kevin on Twitter and Kevin tweeted, hey, are there any film students out there with a Canon 5D camera that can shoot my podcast tonight? So I was like, I can, I'll, I've got the camera and I've got, I can bring a crew. So... Fortunately, like because I was on Twitter nonstop following Kevin, I was like one of the first replies. And um, essentially, I went in that night. I shot, uh, I think it was, I think it was Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, one of the first Jay and Silent Bob Get Olds. And um, it was Jay's one year sober. Uh, show and so we so we shot that i took it home i put it into avid got it ready for kevin to edit and dropped it off at his house the next day well dropped it off at jason muse and jordan who runs kevin's company's house and they were like oh that's awesome like do you want to come back tonight and do hollywood babylon so we did that and then they were like at hollywood babylon they were like do you want to come back next week and do jay and bob get old and hollywood babylon and then they were like, do you want to come back next week? Do you want to come back next week? Do you want to come back next week? Which turned into me doing the whole summer of Get Old in Babylon. Kevin, in that September, shooting the cameo for my movie that is called Hughes the Force. Uh, so I got him to do the movie. And then we just kept doing stuff. 
And then the following February, um, Kevin was going over to the UK to shoot stuff. So he brought me with him to the UK to shoot behind the scenes and the, one of the cameras on uh, Jane and Silent Bob teabagging in the UK and Jane and Silent Bob Luck of the Irish. And then I went to, from there, I had another friend who was making a movie in Germany. Uh, so I went to Germany for a month with to make this other movie. And then I came back and Kevin was going to Australia and the the production of the production company that was handling the UK production did not gel very well with the way Kevin does business. And I've been now doing stuff with him for a year. So he was like, uh, so I talked to Jordan and Jordan and I came up with a plan to go and shoot Jay and Silent Bob go down under in Australia. So then I went over to Australia with him for two weeks and we did Jay and Silent Bob go down under, which was in, uh, in Epic's TV special and then was on Netflix for a while. Um, now I don't know where you can find it. I think you can get it at kevinsmithclub.com now. Um, so I did that and then things just kept moving and like we went off to shoot Tusk. So like Jason and Muse and I were doing behind the scenes on Tusk. So Jason and I lived in North Carolina together during the shooting of Tusk. And then something happened on Tusk with the I shouldn't be talking about this, but I don't care. It's been a while. Uh, something happened with the assistant editor on Tusk. And so I took over after in like after the shoot, I took over like partway through the show. But like I'm not supposed to talk about it because I wasn't in the union at the time. But now I am. So I'm talking about it. Um, so I so I did that. And then because I did that, then I did yoga hosers and hollyweed and holidays and like now i'm kind of like kevin's post-production guy by the way i told you guys i can talk non-stop it's amazing but we love it we do love it everyone listens to us talk shit for like an hour so when the interview comes up we want our guests to be talking so keep going man absolutely beautiful uh, anyway so that's how i got into it um and got you know like uh, i don't know we just i have just like a pretty like laid back di disposition um, which works with, you know, with the way Kevin does things. So how did that develop to them doing Fat Man Beyond at the Cantina? Um, so I had done, I mean, I was still shooting Hollywood Babylon. I mean, God, we did it for years and years and years. Um, and one of the guys I used to work with, Josh Rausch, um, I, I got too busy to do Babylon. So I kind of like handed it off to him. And, um, and then when Fat Man Beyond kind of like went into video, uh, they signed a deal with Defy Media and they were doing it with Defy. And when that deal ran out, they were like, Hey, do you want to do Fat Man Beyond? So I started doing it, God, in 2014, 2015. Um, and then I, when I opened the bar, I like couldn't get Kevin to come down to the bar. Um, and like we operated as a pop-up and then um, essentially I just like kind of talked to Jordan. I was like, we should book a show at my bar uh, as soon as we stop being a pop-up. So in like September, it was like mid-September of 2017, I just booked a show 
at the bar and sold it out. And he and Mark came down, did the show. And Kevin was just like, holy shit, this is like the coolest thing ever. Um, and so that just immediately, like immediately became the ho- new home of Fat Man Beyond. I remember listening to the first episode that they were there and he was literally just like, this place is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's small. So like a, a standing room sellout, like the biggest show we've ever had at Scum and Villainy is 90 people. Um, and so you're close to Kevin and Mark. Like you're even the worst seats are only 30 feet away from Kevin in the whole whole room so you're close and like you know i'm sure doing freaking rockefeller center and these giant venues is is incredible but like at the cantina you can see everybody's facial expressions when you land a joke in a and hear Mm. individual laughter in a way that you don't at these huge venues um so you know, I, it's just like a different feel. It's kind of like what they used to do with Smod Castle, but a little bit bigger and easier to deal with because they don't need to pay the rent with selling podcast tickets because we pay the rent by selling alcohol, which is really like to bring it back to Midtown Comics. It's like Scum and Villainy is essentially a comic book shop that doesn't sell comic books. It sells alcohol right but it's the same vibe it's like you go there to hang out and talk to people about nerdy shit and and um and so that's really what i was like that's why it's different if that makes sense and it's not run by people who like i've never worked at a bar in my whole life when i came up with scum and villainy and i and then i started running it um so i don't it's not run like uh like a bar that you go into it's run like a like behind the scenes, it's run like a film production. And in front of the scenes, it's run like a comic book shop or a convention or a hangout spot. So it just feels different. Like it's, it's, it's soul is different than like somebody who opens a bar. Yeah, we need more. We don't have any like geek related kind of bars in Britain. It's just, yeah, that'd be unbelievable because obviously geeks are known for being in their basements all the time. So it's just giving them a, you know, an opening for them to be able to come out and enjoy the outside world essentially and talk about all the shit they love and all that sort of thing. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, it's also like, you know, in the world of the internet, it's easy to make internet friends, but it's, it's more difficult than ever to make real life friends. Yeah. And so where do you go? Do you go to the local sports bar? If you don't like freaking sports, like where do you go to meet people that are like you? Well, you go to the, the convention. Well, the convention's once a year, maybe twice a year, and then maybe you get lucky and meet somebody who's not with a big group of people because you're standing in line and he's standing in line at the same time and both of you are by yourselves. Or, like, like do you just come to Scum and Villainy because everybody there is into the same crazy shit that you're into? <laughs> exactly. You know, like, so if you walk in and it's like, well, I'm not really a big fan of Star Wars, but like there's a dude in a Star Trek shirt or that guy's got a Thundercats tattoo or like that. I just heard that guy say knowing is half the battle. So I'm going to go talk to him about G.I. Joe. Like it's not like it's it's it, I, I like to say like, you know, because everybody 
everybody's like Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I was like, this isn't Star Wars. This is this is the Venn diagram of like you could come in here and be shitty with somebody who's wearing a Star Trek shirt because you don't like Star Trek, or you could talk about like Firefly and Buffy and Doctor Who and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and oh. the nine million other things that you guys have in common, like 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 celebrate the stuff that makes us the same like joseph campbell right joseph campbell uh was like the mythologist who studied myth and you know a lot of star wars like harkens back to joseph campbell so it's like joseph campbell was one of the first people who studied uh different religions and instead of being like well in judaism jesus isn't the messiah and in christianity he is he studied different religions of different cultures based on their similarities, not based on, not based on what separates them. And that's what like in my head, scum and villainy is supposed to be is like, you're going to come in here and like, you're not going to start shit with somebody who disagree because you don't like what they're doing. You're going to celebrate and find things that bring us together. Because if you want to find stuff that divides us, like go on Facebook or Reddit for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, don't bring that in here. Like, this is a spot to be a real person. Like, we don't have TVs in the bar, right? Everybody, a lot of, a big criticism we used to have is like, oh, there should just be TVs playing geeky TV shows. I was like, look, if you walked into a bar on another planet and they were playing reruns of Masters of the Universe, you'd be like, the fuck? How do they have Masters of the Universe on Dantooine, right? I was like, this is this is the place that you get to be a real life action figure. Like, why do you want to consume Earth media when you're here, when everybody around you is playing make believe? Also, if you want to watch it, like you've got a phone, just watch it on your phone and like leave everybody else to socialize. So like, you know, at a sports bar, you walk into a sports bar, you walk into any place that has a television, people's eyes go from here to here, right? Because the TVs yeah. are all up here. But when there's nothing up here, your eyes are here. And it's like, oh, cool. I like your shirt. Like, like, where did you get your shirt done? Or like you start to notice things about the human beings who are sitting around you that you don't notice when there's a television, 40 TVs everywhere blasting you with crap. So we don't have TVs in the bar, you know, for that reason genius move because obviously everyone is so like like oh, this is the world now isn't it everyone's just doing this no one really talks to anybody anymore so that is a genius move it was already my dream destination to go to this bar now i'm like even more fucking sold on it it's just and i love the fact you've got like a themed menu as well and like you say it's not just star wars like i, I believe i saw a drink uh, after black panther and stuff like that i was like this mm -hmm. is so fucking cool <laughs> It's, you know, the way I like to describe it is like um, if you've ever seen or read uh, the book Ready Player One, where mm. it's like the oasis, right? And it's like when you're in the oasis, you can create everything. It's a virtual reality world. And like, I don't know anybody who's so dogmatic where it's like, I can create anything. I'm going to create bar that looks exactly like cheers and the only people allowed inside are people who look like ted danson and woody harrelson right <laughs> like you're not gonna do that you're gonna be like i'm going to, like 
this thing looks really cool. I'm going to take this thing from here. And I love Back to the Future. So I'm going to take this thing from Back to the Future. And I'm going to take this thing from Masters of the Universe. And I'm, oh my God, when I was a kid, the claw shield from Thundercast was like the coolest weapon I'd ever dreamed of because like it shoots the thing out and then he can swing on it like Batman. Oh my God, speaking <laughs> of Batman, like we should put the red bat phone in here from Batman. Like that's who I am. Like I'm the kid who like when I bought my toys out, like the Voltron Lions fought alongside Optimus Prime, who fought alongside Luke Skywalker, who fought alongside Prince Adam. Like, and Cobra fought with, you know, the Legion of Doom. And like, that's the way I played. Like superhero team up to me was way more fun than just like, like put building the walls between. So like, that's kind of my why scum and villainy is the way it is god i wish you were my best friend when i was growing up <laughs> <laughs> but with the bar and stuff like do you do like theme nights and events and stuff like that or is it just the bar we do um it's been a little weird with covid so in the before times um <laughs> we would do monday night game nights and every game night would be themed um and we do cocktails that matched the theme uh you know looking ahead um like stuff i want to do like i want to do have you guys ever done speed dating it's like the weirdest most no. like like it's no. such a awkward experience that it's and i like that like i like things that are so awkward they're fun like something <laughs> watched it like in a judd apatow movie or something you'd be like it's like ooh. Like, it makes you cringe. I like to do those things in real life. So, like, I did speed dating at a Star Wars Celebration 5. And I thought it was so hilariously awkward. Just, like, all these nerdy people being like, um, my favorite movie is Empire Strikes Back. Um, and I'm, like, I'm lovingly making fun of what we talked about during speed dating. But it was so much fun. It was so much fun. It was such a weird experience. I'm so happy I did it. So like, I want to do light speed dating at Scum and Villainy. Um, we're gonna That's start doing. Name. Uh, we're gonna start doing um, movie nights uh, where people can come in and watch movies, and we're gonna have free popcorn and stuff. We're gonna do. Um, uh, we're gonna start doing. Um, uh, like what we're gonna call like a versus battle, where every month we're going to do. Um, Every month we're going to pick two superheroes. So like it'll be like Superman versus Batman, right? Who would win in a fight? And the way that you vote is by we're going to have a Superman drink and a Batman drink. And whoever sells the most drinks during that month is going to be the winner and it's going to be like a whole bracketed system. Amazing. So like at the end of the year uh we're going to see who the greatest superhero of all time is based on people coming in and buying cocktails to support that superhero. And like in the bar, we do have like, we have some projector screens that have like our menu on it. They look like holograms kind of like I, I hung clear plexiglass and hit it with a projector. So it's like, you can see it from both sides and this whole thing. So on the projectors, we're gonna tie it into our point of sale system. So every time somebody buys a Superman drink, you're gonna see the number tick up. And every oh, time the- That's so uh, fucking cool. Somebody buys a Batman drink. So in real time, 
you come into the bar and you can vote with your cocktail who you want to see win. And then like every few days we'll update it on the website and be like, Oh, Batman fans, what are you doing? Like you talk a big game on the internet, but like Superman's kicking your ass in, in real life and, and get people in to like, you know, support Batman. Um, we just got uh Skywalker ranch wines. So we haven't really been a place that sells wine before, but like starting next week, you can, you can drink wine that is grown from the earth nutrients pulled from the earth of skywalker ranch brought up into these grapes and it is a way for you to consume and and get a little taste of skywalker ranch um via scum and villainy uh so that's going to start happening next week so like end of june um we've got uh what other fun things are we doing? Like we're going to do, like we have um, uh, like interactive drinks, which is a weird thing to say. But like right now, we have, we only have one on the menu right now. We call it the Tiki Temple. And so if you order the Tiki Temple, the bartender comes out to your table right now and lights the drink on fire and it goes. Woof. And then one of our bar backs, we hit a button and all the lights go in time to the Raiders March. And it's like, do, 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 do. Like one of our barbacks dresses like Indiana Jones and he does like a little like 10 second stunt show in the bar. Um, and so we've got more drinks like that. We've got one that's really cool. Called, uh, it's going to be called Chaos Magic where it like changes color. Like the drink will change color when, when you order it. Like uh, uh all the stuff in the all the lights turn like red like scarlet witch and you hear like uh you'll hear the like it was agatha all along play on the on the that's so cool um this exhausted barman at the back getting out of his indiana jones costume putting on a scarlet witch one running back (laughs) (laughs) um so we've got like a lot of fun stuff like that like the the chaos magic has like red sparkles in it so it looks like wanda's energy ball um so cool I'm trying to think like I really want to get into like uh, like and this is like way out there and I'm just like throwing all the ideas out. But I really want to um, host Smash Brothers and Mario Kart tournaments at the bar where you can come in and and we'll do like um, we'll do uh, competitions there where you can win prizes and stuff. and uh i mean we do karaoke on thursdays and trivia like pub trivia like geeky pub trivia on wednesdays um but even like our pub trivia is interesting because like we don't just do pub trivia we call it trivia quest so like you can come in and you play trivia and you can win the night but certain questions throughout the night which are random earn you points on trivia quest so like we have a board game that goes up on the projectors and everybody gets a little avatar. And so every time you're every week, your team comes in, in a row, you get to move your space one forward on the board game. And like, if you get the random question, right, you get to move your, your token one space further on the board game. And on the board game, there are certain spots where like, if you hit it, it's like half price drinks tonight or, you know, or, uh, like, um, free tater tots tonight uh on the game board and then whoever 
wins trivia quest gets like a, a $300 gift card at the end of like the eight week trivia quest game. So like, even if you suck at pub trivia, but you come every week and let's say you come every week and you get second or third place, you still may be able to win the trivia quest big prize. So even if you don't win the like tonight's match, you can win the you, even if you lose the battle, you can win the war with Trivia Quest. Can I work for you, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds I mean, unbelievable. I know. It's going to be a long commute, but... Yeah, know. it would take me a while. Yeah, it's about a day or two to actually get there. So, okay, so I'll, I'll sleep rough. It'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you've had quite a few celebrities in the bar as well. Um, Ned from Spider-Man, his name has completely gone out of my head right mm-hmm. now. Uh, so you've had the Hobbits come in there as well recently. Do these people come in to promote stuff? Are they literally just they fancy a drink and it's the coolest bar in town? Um, they come in because uh, they've heard of us and they just want to come hang out. So like Kelly Marie Tran came in during like the whole Last Jedi thing and like nobody knew it was Kelly Marie Tran. Um, and... Uh, you know, I don't know. We've had all sorts of people come in um, just to hang out. I mean, the Hobbits were promoting their podcast when they were in. Um, and then, of course, the people who come on Fat Man Beyond, um, Grant Morrison, Rick Baker, people like that are guests on the podcast. But, yeah, I mean, Justin Roiland came in from um, uh, Rick and Morty. And at the time, we had something on the menu called the Pickle Rick which was a whiskey infused pickle. So like he, we have a photo of him holding the pickle Rick and like we would put toothpicks in with like little marshmallows at the end to make it look like pickle and like marshmallow eyes to make it look like pickle Rick. That's amazing. Um, and uh, um, so I have a picture of the creator of pickle Rick eating one of our pickle Ricks. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. Like Tom, but like what's also cool is like people don't, like it's not like you come in and you're just like tell me everything about rick and morty it's more like you're sitting next to justin roiland at the bar and you're just like oh cool how was how great was that new ghostbusters trailer you know like people get treated like people in a way you know mm-hmm. i mean the hobbits got mobbed a little bit um but what do uh, expect the hobbits but yeah it was uh it's fun it's a weird spot <laughs> it's weird <laughs> It's amazing, incredible. though. It is incredible. Would you ever expand to more locations, like open up more? Uh, I mean, that's the dream. Um, but right now, I'm just one man trying to make his way in the galaxy. Um, I think so. I think we'll get to a. F- I think we'll get a few more open at some point. If you ever open one in the UK and you want two guys to help. Just, just, you know. <laughs> no I mean, experience, a, and we'll never clue what we're doing. But still, there's a massive market. <laughs> I think there's a massive market for it. Here. Here's the thing. Here's here's the thing with a scum and villainy. I opened scum and villainy with exactly zero experience. With ever, I'd never, ever, ever worked in a bar or a restaurant. So like, it's not like you guys could do it because it's not. I mean, like, it's easier to learn how to run a bar in a restaurant than it is to be authentically passionate about the shit that we all love, if that makes sense. 
Like it takes a lifetime of like loving stuff that everybody else tells you you're stupid for loving. Like, and like, what is this ever going to do for you? Well, like I, now I own a bar. That's what, um, like it takes a lifetime to build up that passion. Right. Whereas like you can learn to run a bar or restaurant in three to six months. I did it. I talk to my employees. Some of them will say I didn't do it very well, but, <laughs> but the experience, the, the, the customer facing experience was good. I can imagine. Like I say, you sold me 500 times. I was already sold, but I just want to go even more now. So I, before we start wrapping up, I did just want to go back to Star Wars a little bit because, you know, your fandom has led you to do some incredible things. You know, you've already mentioned um, Cues the Force, which is so good. I watched it the other day. I was absolutely in tears. It's so funny. Thank you. Um, and obviously, we've mentioned before when we were talking about Comlink, uh, the YouTube channel, which there's so much cool material on there. But the one I need to speak to you about most, because it must have been incredible for you. Oh, sorry. Can I tell you the story behind Comlink? Go I'll try it. to tell it quickly. So I uh, knew some people at Lucasfilm, and I had done some work for Lucasfilm. I did um, with Kyle Newman, who did Fanboys. Uh, he and I did a thing called uh, Return of Return of the Jedi for Lucasfilm, which was like... I was literally uh, just about to ask about it, so there you go. <laughs> Jedi's 30th uh, anniversary um it was like a celebration of return of the jedi because return of the jedi always gets shit on um so it was all these celebrities talking about that so i had been doing some stuff with lucasfilm on and off in kind of like a like an adjacent capacity um and i started talking with some of the people up there about uh, coming on and working for them and um while we were shooting I was like just about to start the interview process and like kind of like uh, off the record talking to people at Lucasfilm about about coming up there to work on video features with them. And uh, and then the Disney sale happened. I literally remember the week before the Disney sale happened, calling my contact up there and being like, is this ever going to happen, man? And he's like, they put a hiring freeze on everything. Something huge is about to happen. And then the next week they announced the Disney sale. Um, so the next Comic-Con, so that was in 2012. The next Comic-Con I, um, I was at, I bumped into my Lucasfilm contact and he was like, Hey, we're ramping up to do this thing again. Do you want to, do you want, are you still interested? I said, yes. So I was interviewing, I started interviewing at Lucasfilm around that july august and like doing phone interviews and just staying in touch and then I, I i was supposed to be in the movie tusk and i couldn't because i had a phone interview with lucasfilm at the time and then tusk wrapped and i flew out to san francisco and i interviewed with lucasfilm in san francisco and thought everything went really well and then it was like a week or two before christmas and like i'll never forget it and i'm gonna try to paint this picture which won't mean anything to anybody who's not been to la but like I'm coming over uh, the Hollywood Hills and there's like a little gap in the hills right between like the Hollywood, like uh, like Hollywood Hills and Universal Studios. And it was nine o'clock at night and I had my roommate in the car and I see the number for Walt Disney Interactive pop up on my dashboard. 
It's like, oh my God, it's Disney. They're calling me at nine o'clock on a Friday night. What's what's going on? So I'm like, shh, like be quiet. So I pick it up and it's, they offered me the job. They, they talked to me about moving to San Francisco. They talked to me about salary, the whole thing. And I'm like, cool, I'm good to go. Like I can go, like, when would you want me to start? And they're like, uh, like mid January. I was like, okay, awesome. I have family up there. Like I'll stay with my family until I can find a place to live. Like, let's do this. She goes, cool. I'll call you on Monday to like get paperwork going. I heard nothing on Monday. I heard nothing on Tuesday. I heard nothing on Wednesday. I heard nothing on Thursday. Nothing on Friday. I fly home to Chicago for Christmas. Nothing, nothing, nothing. The next Monday I email. I'm like, hey, just checking in. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Hey, checking in again on Thursday. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Then the day before, I think it was uh, December 23rd, I sent a tweet and I said, all I want to... All I want for Christmas is to know if I'm moving to San Francisco next month. And uh, I got, I think it was December, maybe that was the 22nd. And then on December 23rd, I got a form email from Walt Disney Interactive. Dear fill in the blank, we regret to inform you that we've gone with another direction with the such and such. And I was like... No. What the actual fuck? So I didn't end up getting the job, and I'm not going to publicly. I'll tell you guys off air why why I didn't get it. Um, okay. It was not because I was unqualified. Uh, so I got a real fuck you attitude at that point. I was like, oh, okay, nice. well I'm going to do my own thing. So me, so I put together this show called The Comlink, which in my head, it was like ESPN news for Star Wars fans. And um, the same way you tune into like ESPN and watch sports, I was like, I want to do that for Star Wars news. Like Force Awakens is ramping up. It was 2014. So I put together this whole package and I teamed up. I had worked on Return of Return of the Jedi with David Collins, who hosts stuff for Lucasfilm here and there. And I was like, hey, man, do you want to do this like crazy Star Wars YouTube show thing? And he was like, OK. Um, so like our first we taped like a pilot episode right before Comic-Con to uh, to show. So like David is good friends with Sam Witwer. So Sam Witwer was our first guest and we talked to him about Star Wars. We did this whole thing. We got Adrian Curry, who after denying me, Hughes the force. She and I became friends years later. So we had her interviewing man on the street about like silly star wars things so we did this whole thing um and so uh comlink was my reaction to not getting hired to do star wars content by lucasfilm here's the crazy thing my current fiance jen the the mother of my child uh she is a bar and restaurant designer and I had kind of dated her for a month or so in 2008. So I went back to her and said, hey, can you help me design this set for this Star Wars YouTube show I want to do? So she was like, okay, that's where we like reconnected. Is built is designing and building the set for the Comlink show that, and, and so now here we are, like we've, we've got like an, 
amazing little family. So it all like weirdly ties back into uh, like my passion for Star Wars, which rolling back and again, I tell me to shut up, but like rolling back, if if I can offer a piece of advice, I'm going to echo advice that somebody else who's way smarter than I am gave me that set me on my path, which was um, when I first moved to L.A., I had a really hard time finding a job. I finally got a job at this little company called Young Hollywood. And um, we would interview celebrities. And one of the celebrities we interviewed was Thomas Jane, uh, the Punisher. Punisher, guy. right? And um, my friend and I were shooting, we were shooting two cameras. And the interviewer asked, and Thomas Jane's like a really serious guy. Like he was like, no nonsense, no anything. Really serious guy. And uh, it was not really feeling the vibe of the guy who was interviewing him, who was like, hey, how's it going? What's up? Ah. Like very <laughs> Hollywood. And Tom Jane was like, what am I doing here? But he asked him one question. And, uh, and the interviewer said, what advice do you have for young Hollywood? We're young Hollywood. You're making it. What advice do you have? And Thomas Jane, who is like looking at the interview guy, turns and looks right down the barrel of my lens and he goes, keep the dream alive. If you have a passion for something, it will find its way. And if you have a job that is getting in the way of your passion, quit your job now. Passion rules. Passion will find a way. And I looked over at my friend, Justin, who was operating the other camera. And he looked at me the exact same way. Justin quit Young Hollywood the next day. I quit four days later. We wrote Hughes the Force. That's my life trajectory. Mic drop. That's fucking amazing. So then that following year, after I had met Kevin Smith and done the whole thing, I bumped into Thomas Jane at Comic-Con and I told him that story. And he was like blown away. He's like, oh my God, man, that's incredible. If you ever need anything, let me know. Like, I'm going to follow you on Twitter. Just DM me. Like, and I've never like gone back to him, but it was like crazy to be able almost a year later to go back to him and be like, your advice changed my life. That's just amazing. Stories like that is why we fucking do this. I love that so much. Yeah, oh. it's still like I still get teary-eyed thinking about it. Like it's overwhelming. Um, and it's just like the best. It was the best advice. I took that video and I put it on my Facebook page. And every year when it's like you have memories, I reshare it. And I was like, this changed my life. That's incredible. So cool. But before we wrap up, because I've realized what the time is, I do just want to ask one more question, which I noticed. I hear regarding Star Wars, you are a very big advocate of Jar Jar Binks. I am. <laughs> I am. This guy gets a lot of hate. What? Why do you love him so much? Um, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> the uh, so Jar Jar Binks. Uh, I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Um, people don't like Jar Jar. And when you say, why don't you like Jar Jar to people, they, he's annoying, he's stupid, he doesn't belong in Star Wars, blah, 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 right? Um, 
So, initially, when episode one came out, I didn't love Jar Jar. I had a few eye rolls at Jar Jar. But, like, as the years have gone on, and I start to reflect on, like, what Star Wars is and what it means and who it's for, right? So, Star Wars episode one came out, like I said, when I was 18. And I went into Star Wars episode one as an 18-year-old thinking that Star Wars Episode One was supposed to be made that so that it would make 18-year-old JC feel the same way that Return of the Jedi made five-year-old JC feel. That's my mistake. That's not Star Wars's mistake. Star Wars Episode One was supposed to make five-year-old Joey or five-year-old Gina feel the way that Return of the Jedi made five-year-old JC feel. But in the in the 13 years since then, or whatever it was, I had hijacked that. And so as soon as I realized that, I started looking at it differently. So like, why, why did I hate Jar Jar? Okay, well, like his theatrics. So you look into Jar Jar's theatrics. Jar Jar's, Jar Jar's physical comedy which people are like, that's stupid. His physical comedy is almost shot for shot. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Harold Lloyd, who were the biggest film stars of the silent film era. So if maybe you don't like Charlie Chaplin movies, which is fine, but you can't say that Charlie Chaplin sucks or is horrible, right? So Star Wars has always been a movie that calls back to Saturday morning serials and calls back to uh, the Odyssey and Beowulf and all of these things. So you're watching Star Wars Episode One, and it's calling back to its roots, right? They took a character and they create, they put a silent film character in a Star Wars movie. Now, maybe, maybe that was a tonally strange move, but I don't. But that's not your call to make. That's that's George's that's George's call to make. He's making the movie. And you may not like it, but you cannot say that it's it's stupid or it's not this or it's not that. Because it's rooted in the same stuff that all of Star Wars comes from. I also have a theory that kids don't hate Jar Jar. Kids are taught to hate Jar Jar. Meaning if you talk to a kid and they're like, I used to love Jar Jar, but he sucks now. Why does he suck now? Well, my dad said, my older brother said, my sister said. So kids liked Jar Jar. The, the people who were supposed to like Jar Jar did like Jar Jar. And they were taught to dislike Jar Jar by old people like me who are like, Jar Jar doesn't bring me the joy at age 18 or 30 or 25 as the Ewoks brought me when I was five years old. Well, of course he doesn't. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to, like, you're supposed to like Darth Maul hitting things with a lightsaber. He's for them. And so why are you ruining their experience with your bias? So as soon as I started like deconstruct it, then I was like, well, why do old people hate Jar Jar? Like, why can't we just like, say, well, Jar Jar's not for me and enjoy the parts of the movie that we, we do like. So I started looking at like 
when you go to school here and you go out on the playground, there's there's three types of kids. There's the cool kids, there's the loser kids, and there's the kids in the middle. Very few of us were the cool kids. A handful of us were the were the nerdy kids. Most of us were the kids in the middle. And what happens when you're a kid in the middle? You either go along with the cool kids and tease the nerdy kids, or you go along with the nerdy kids and you get teased by the cool kids. So most of the kids in the middle don't want to don't want to be lumped in with the nerds, so they are pressured to it's like well, I'm either keep my mouth shut or I walk away. But if I if I don't rebel against the nerds, I'm going to become one. And I don't want that. Like, I'm already in the middle. I'm already kind of a social, socially awkward. I don't want to be lumped in there by Joe Cool, who's, you know, whose dad owns the movie theater or whatever, right? So, so from a very young age, you're taught, well... Anybody who doesn't know what this word means or anybody who doesn't, who's not good at sports or anybody who's kind of awkward, you need to tease them or you will be teased. And who is Jar Jar? Who is Jar Jar when you meet him? He's a loser. He's a loser. Hey, Jar Jar, why were you banished? Oh, I'm clumsy. Hey, Jar Jar, why is this? Well, I'm just Jar Jar. I'm just me. I am I am I am true to who I am and I am proud of who I am and I and I don't hide it. Well that's the guy to tease or else I'm going to get teased. Right? You're taught he Jar Jar is the kid, the nerdy kid on the playground who's not afraid to play with action figures in front of other kids. Jar Jar is the kid on the playground who's on the jungle gym role playing instead of playing kickball right so he's a fucking pariah well like no dude like you're the one with the problem not jar jar and so as i started to like look at it i'm like jar jar needs like the problem with jar jar is the same problem with all star wars fans is it's like you're like you're missing the point you know like you need to look in the mirror and and figure out what's going on with you and why you're thinking these things not point a finger at jar jar like because like he's not in the movie that much like he's pretty easy to ignore like there are much bigger problems with star wars episode one than midichlorians and jar jar banks right but like jar jar's the problem like anyway so like that's where it all began and now it's just fun because like you know it's like i've been a boba fett fan since 1980 like cool man like it's real hard to be a boba fett fan it's real hard to root for the new york yankees but like when you're like i'm a kansas city royals fan right or i'm a i like the shitty team i like the chicago white Sox. like when you like that team and you root for that team like it says something about who you are as a fan also it's like yeah, I don't need 27, 28 world championship rings. Like, it's not hard to root for the... It's not hard to root for Han Solo. It's not hard to root for Boba Fett. Like, it doesn't say anything about who you are to champion Boba Fett. But to, like, be a champion of Jar Jar, like, you have to... 
have a reason. You have to have a passion behind it. You have to, you know, like, like people who love the Ewoks, like you have to like, it, it is making more of a statement about who you are than being a fan of Boba Fett or Han Solo. I always felt Jar Jar would have been in the other two so much more if the fans hadn't shit on him after the first one. Probably. I mean, there's a whole, I just did a, a panel on Saturday um, for a fundraiser for the 501st Legion. Uh, and me and a guy named Brian Young, who is the only other person on earth who probably champions Jar Jar like I do, um, outside of Ahmed Best, uh, also had this huge theory about how Jar Jar is the core of Star Wars. And I'm going to butcher it here. But essentially, if you look at Jar Jar's behavior in The Phantom Menace, and if you look at the prequels, and the prequel story is about the hubris of the Jedi, right? And Yoda and Mace Windu, and everybody talks about the hubris of the Jedi. We've lost our way, right? Yoda goes to Dagobah to ruminate on what went wrong. What did I do wrong, right? What did he learn? I mean, he learned that, like, when Luke meets Yoda, Yoda acts like Jar Jar. He's testing luke right and when you look at qui-gon right and who is yoda talking to on dagobah the whole time he's talking to qui-gon right what did how did qui-gon react to jar jar how did obi-wan react to jar jar when all the jedi (laughs) fail who did obi-wan and and yoda turn to qui-gon yeah qui-gon how what did jar uh, what did qui-gon teach you be humble Treat all life with respect, right? So the whole time they're in isolation, they're training with Qui-Gon to learn to be more like Jar Jar. Like Jar Jar is the the heart, is the core of that whole story throughout the whole thing. He, If everybody in those movies had acted like Jar Jar, the Jedi never would have fallen. I love that That's Brian so Young's theory. It's not my theory. I'm not going to take credit for that. And I, and I, it, it's so much more detailed than like the cliff notes version i just gave you um but i'm sure you can find it brian young is swank motron on twitter i'm sure you can find it on a blog or something that he's written uh, in in detail i feel like i want to get up and just applaud you then just like be like yeah just just go mental like just give you a standing ovation <laughs> i just also- for my 39th birthday, my birthday present to myself is I bought a life-size Jar Jar who sits in our dining room. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. As your daughter's growing up, you're like, this This is who we honor and respect and we learn from. <laughs> uh, um, I love the fact that your speech about Jar Jar was probably more passionate about the business than the business you run, which was also very passionate. I love it. I have, um, God, I know we've been talking for an hour and a half. I, I'm... I have a Jar Jar prequel that I've started to write. This is, there's, it's all tied in. Like I was doing, I'm not going to go into it. I have a Jar Jar prequel that I started to write. (laughs) Because I'm like, how do you humanize? um, How do you get, how do you make people who are not interested in even listening to like what I just told you about Jar Jar, who are not, who are so like close-minded that they don't even want to hear it. Right. Who are like, he steps in poop and he goes, icky, icky poo, 
right? Like how do, and, and they're like, I don't care. He says that I, he's horrible. I'm not listening to you. How do you reach somebody like that? And I wrote, or I'm in the midst of writing a prequel for Jar Jar, which takes place like 10 years before The Phantom Menace. Where Jar Jar is, um, Jar Jar is the top cadet in the Odegunga City Police Force. And Captain Tarples at that time is the police chief. And Jar Jar has scored higher than anybody in the history of the police cadets. And uh, at the end, Tarples is like, Jar Jar, you have your pick. And Jar Jar's voice at this time is like more like my voice. He's like, oh, yeah, a little bit more in here. And um, and so that night, Jar Jar and all the other cadets go out to like the Otagunga bar and are all drinking and celebrating. And everybody is celebrating Jar Jar, who scored perfect on all of his tests. And um, and the bar tender comes over and is like, Jar Jar, come, come here, you come here. And so like he goes off to the back while everybody's celebrating, you know, in the foreground and he's on the phone. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like he just drops and his fiance, the love of his life, uh, who he's known since they were tadpoles, is a marine biologist who is who is studying life and changing currents in the ocean, in the planet core and was was killed by a Sando aqua monster. And at that moment, Jar Jar's entire life changes. Like he doesn't want to be in the police force. He he goes above the the city on the outskirts of uh, the swamp and lives above the swamp and starts sucking on poison poison toads. And the more he's he's just trying to kill himself. Like he's just he's not going to actually kill himself, but he's just like doing drugs and have and and just like. Like his skin is drying out. He doesn't go underwater anymore. And the more toad venom he sucks, the higher his voice goes because it's ruining his vocal cords and not being in the water is ruining all of this. So it's been like three or four years since this happens. And he gets a knock on his door one day. And he's like passed out, hungover. Tarples kicks in the door. Georgia! Get up, Jar Jar. Tarples explains that a prominent child from the Naboo has been kidnapped. Like not the like one of the senator's uh, children has been kidnapped. And the Naboo press has blamed the Gungan race for this. And it's a very sensitive thing. And they don't the Gungans don't even want it to uh, uh, validate the claim with like an investigation or anything. So Boss Nass has tasked Jar Jar, or has tasked Captain Tarples to go undercover and discover who who actually kidnapped this child. And Tarples, because he can't go with anybody else in the police force or everybody, goes to Jar Jar, his top cadet of all time, and says. I need you for this. Your people need you for this. So he gets Jar Jar out. And, you know, Jar Jar at this point, even at half capacity, is still better than so many of the, the police force. And Jar Jar and Tarples go on a buddy cop adventure to discover who kidnapped 
this Naboo child. Some like think like Lethal Weapon, right? Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. And uh, throughout it, all the things that you learn about Jar Jar in Episode One, like crashed the boss's hay blibber and flooded the Odagunga City Zoo, and all of these things that he does, he does in the name of trying to track down the person who kidnapped this child. And uh, he, so eventually Tarples and Jar Jar at the end recover this, this baby and return it to the Naboo. But the wake of destruction and the whole thing, like it needs to be covered up. And when they have a private meeting between Boss Nass and Tarples and they're like, Jar Jar, you're a hero. Like, what are we going to do? Jar Jar's like, I'm going to take the blame. Like, I'm, like I don't want to live anymore anyway. Like, I've, my life is already forfeit. Like, I don't want to... Like, I did... I came out of my hole to save the Gungans. Put it all on me. So Boss Nass decrees publicly that Jar Jar is banished for doing all this shit. And Jar Jar takes the blame for the whole uh gungan race and he goes back to his spot and just feels a sense of pride so he starts to clean him clean himself up but he's just going to live out the rest of his days there until he bumps into qui-gon Jin. you're gonna make me fucking cry dude that's just... oh. here's the crazy thing so the credits roll right the after credit scene is palpatine is the one who orchestrated the kidnapping of the child because he thought if there was a race war between the Gungans and the Naboo, it would be easier to take over the planet in the events of Star Wars Episode One. And if you think about it, the Gungans are what saved the planet. It was that unification. So Palpatine knew that that would be dangerous and he had put plans in motion. So when Jar Jar and the Gungans foiled his plans there, he goes to Jar Jar and manipulates Jar Jar to give him the power that brings about the fall. Jar Jar is a tragic character. As Kevin would say, take all my fucking money. That so, sounds incredible. And you think about it, every time you see Jar Jar then do something stupid or you want to roll your eyes at him in episode one or episode two, with that foundation, you're not looking at him as like this stupid idiot. You're looking at him as a hero who's like, done everything for his people and still has no respect oh i love you just oh Fuck. obviously I, i'm around oh. thinking about this shit way too much <laughs> it's like i oh, i love it I've, I've just realized the time and i know you've got a staff meeting you need to get to one so we need to let you go but before we get out of here any plugs or like Website, social media is anything that people need to go check out. I mean, Scum and Villainy, Fat Man Beyond, um, uh, Facebook.com slash Scum and Villainy Cantina, uh, at Scum and Villainy Cantina on Instagram, uh, Scum and Villainy Cantina.com, um, YouTube.com slash Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm on Twitter is at Reifenberg, which is like spelled out like my last name, R-E-I-F-E-N-B-E-R-G. Oh my God. Were you going to talk about, sorry, I know we're leaving, but were you going to talk about summer 78? Did I cut you off on that? 
No, I was literally just going to mention about Return to the Return of the Jedi, unless he was. I've someone sent me is in my is in my questions. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's hit on that, and then we'll then I'll go. So, I mean, oh, I've, I've just written down your short film. So, I mean, what is it? What was it all about? Like, fill us in. Tell us the whole story. Um. So yeah, I just can't stop talking about myself. I, don't worry, Jason. Just, I from- Kevin Smith. Um. Uh. That wasn't meant as a dig on Kevin. It's people. No, it's true. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, the um, so summer seventy eight was my other Star Wars short film, which was, um, you know, Hughes the Force was made to to like it's like they always say write what you know. So that was what Hughes the Force was. But with the lead up to the Force Awakens. I just got this very huge nostalgic feeling about like what I loved about Star Wars, which was always the action figures. So um, they brought back the Star Wars Fan Film Awards that year. And some of the people I know at Lucasfilm hit me up and they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm not making fan films anymore. Um, But then I had this, I was like, but if I were to make a fan film, what would it be? (laughs) And then I got the idea for Summer 78 and I didn't have enough time to make it right before the deadline of the Star Wars fan, fan film competition. And then like a month later, I started sharing a studio space with James Arnold Taylor from Star Wars Clone Wars. And I like in passing, I was like, I had this idea about this film, about this kid who's playing with toys in his front yard. But it turns out like like this kid in 1978, like turns out to be more than just like a boy, right? um just like a random kid he's got there's like something else to it and uh and james was like oh my god we have to make that movie and i was like yeah but the awards are over who's gonna see it and he's like i will play it before my before the mark hamill panel at star wars celebration that i'm hosting in april so we made summer 78 it's on youtube summer 78 short film if you youtube it um and uh yeah, I won't ruin the end, but that's how that like weird thing came about. But it was it was screened in front of uh, at Star Wars Celebration in front of five thousand people, which was incredible, crazy. incredible. You have had the most incredible life, man. I'm just oh. passion. Just, follow your passion. Follow your passion as a great as a great Punisher just, once said. Just do it, and it's got to be a passion though. Like it can't be like I'm interested in this, right? Like it has to be something that like you you radiates from your core um and you 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 won't fail like do the work follow your passion i love it so much jc thank you so much man this has been absolutely incredible i've loved this so much you know i I now need to buy a ticket to la i now need to see your fucking jar jar movie just yeah come hang i try to do it as an animated or as a radio drama i thought about doing it as a radio drama also Oh, it'd be amazing. Just do it in all the things everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, uh, man, thank you so much for your time, dude. This has been absolutely wonderful. I've loved every second. Yeah, it was fun. I'm I'm glad you let me talk about myself for an hour and forty five minutes. That's what we like. It's a pleasure. That's hopefully like your uh GM won't shout at you for being late. Yeah. Hopefully I I mean look, hopefully like it's fun talking about like all the crazy shit I've done, but like hopefully somebody listens to this and is like if that fucking schmuck can do it there's no reason i can't do it and then they can go out and have a even bigger and better shit happen to them you know i mean that's 
that's to me at like this point like that's the only reason i want to talk about all this nonsense is like i'm a poor kid from Shermer, northbrook illinois like with no connections whatsoever like if i can do it like anybody can do it and also like it's never too late like it's never too late to start you know beautiful he's humble too fuck i want to marry you <laughs> jc thank you so much man i'll let you get off yeah man this is a blast fun. thank you so much man cheers uh, fella hey there i'm frank guglielmelli and i'm the narrator for the audio drama feed featuring such audio dramas as bounty hunters marty and mars val toby and so much more you can find all of these wonderful programs on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can go to our website at www.audiodramafeed.com. We are thrilled to be affiliated with the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom and Jamie.